0: Well, good morning, church family, are you doing well? All right, glad to hear it. Hey, if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Would you open in that Bible to Matthew chapter six? Matthew chapter six is where we will be in just a moment. As you're turning that way, let me say, my name is Brian Alderman. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Liberty. It's my joy to bring you God's word. Uh, It is especially my joy today because we get to talk about one of my uh, personal favorite subjects, which is generosity. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. Uh, But let me say, if you are new with us, us today, or if you're new ish with us today, we want to welcome you and say we're glad you're here. If you are old ish with us today, or if you're just plain old with us today, we're glad that you're here as well. I want to welcome you and, and just say thank you for joining us, for uh, raising your voice to uh, that king who came to a manger throne and uh, we we get the privilege to to praise him. Let me also just say welcome real quick to those of you that are joining us online and those that are just down the hall in the East Venue. We love y'all and are beyond thankful that you have chosen to worship with us as well. Uh, as I said today, we get the opportunity to kick off a new sermon series on uh, the subject of generosity. Generosity. Every once in a while, uh, the pastors, those of us that teach, gather up. That's usually Tim, Kyle, and myself, and we pray through and think through uh, what is it that our people need to hear. Where do we need to go uh, next? What do we need to talk about? And as we approached the end of the year 2023, uh, man, this one rose quickly to the top. This this subject of generosity. Now, you may be saying, uh, Brian, how in the world can that be? Like, it, this is the worst time ever to talk about generosity, right? Like, it's Christmas. Nobody wants to talk about generosity at Christmas time. Can we not, like, talk about something that's a little bit more, you know, about Jesus and about the manger and about the silent night and all those wonderful things? Well, here's the, friend, uh, the thing, friends. Generosity is the heart of Christmas, right? God so loved the world that he gave, right? And so you and I in this season get to be reminded of the most generous move, uh, the most generous act in all of human history, which was God who loved us, had no obligation to save us, but he sent his only son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, John eight thirty two says, um, "The truth will set you free." I believe, I really believe that here in our context, and I'm talking about kind of the American West, uh, even the state of Alabama, and maybe even especially here in Chelsea, Alabama, I believe that there are two great slave makers among uh, the the people that you and I are in community with. Two great slave makers. Um, One of those, uh, well, let me just tell you the two together. I, I think sex and money. I mean, sex and money make slaves out of human beings faster than probably anything else uh, in our world today. And and here's the deal. We don't feel like we could do justice to both of those things uh, in the Christmas season. And so we landed on money and finances and generosity to talk about. I recognize that you are already thinking about finances as we enter the Christmas season, right? How much are all those gifts gonna cost? How much is underneath the tree? Uh, what is January's credit card bill gonna look like when it comes due? What's the cost of living increase gonna look like from your employer when January rolls around? How tight are things gonna be next year with uh, inflation and healthcare costs going up and all these other things? I know, church, that finances are on your mind. And so I really don't know that there's a better thing that you and I could address than Generosity. In our passage today, Jesus is going to confront with great clarity this slave maker, this idol-making factory called money. And I want you to see it and look along with me. So if you've got your Bible and you're open to Matthew chapter 6, Uh, Look at verse 19, and I'm gonna invite you all around the room in the East Venue, even online if you're in your living room. Would you stand up? Let's honor uh, the Lord and his word and say, hey God, here we are. We are ready to listen to you this morning. And so Matthew 6, 19, I'll read and you follow along. Here's what Jesus says. He's preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon of all time. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Uh, Seems like a total change of subject there in 22 and 23, doesn't it? Hang on to that. We'll come back to it. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters since either he's going to hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Here's it all boiled down to one sentence. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's be thankful to him and let's pray as we dive in this morning. Jesus, thank you uh, for your good word. We believe it, Lord. Uh, Even when we struggle to, we want to just stand and confess that we believe your word. Help us to live it out. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Here's something that's, um, that's crazy. When I was studying and doing the research for this sermon, I learned that um, actually money is, uh, when it comes to like, you know, frequency, money is Jesus' favorite social subject to talk about that. How about that for a preacher or a teacher, right? Money is his favorite thing to talk about. More than marriage, more than politics, more than work, more than sex, more than power. Jesus talked about money. Now, I think you and I have to think through the answer to the question, why? I mentioned to you earlier I personally believe that the reason that Jesus spent so much time addressing wealth and money, the reason we have so many passages in the New Testament that talk about it is because our Lord knows that we are so drawn to the sense of security that we can find in finance. He knows that, that, that money just has this incredible ability to draw our attention, to lock us into its power and, 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 and to make us desire it almost like we would a, a God. I think that Jesus knows this and that's the reason why he addresses it so much. And so, church family, what we want to do today is we want to encourage you, and and really through the month of December, we want to encourage you uh, to be the kind of people who are not locked onto the demands of finances in this life, but instead who are freely giving, who are first concerned not with our own power, our own success, our own security even, but who are primarily concerned with uh, the, the love that we have for the Lord, with his causes, and with loving our neighbor so much that we can't help but step in and give them aid whenever they need it. This is the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be open handed, freely giving, cheerfully generous at all times and in every situation. The Lord wants us to not hold on to things closed fisted, but to open our palms and give, give, give. Maybe in some cases until there's nothing left. So if I could boil it all down for you in just one sentence, what we hope to accomplish over the next few weeks as we talk about generosity in this Christmas season is this. Um, We want to encourage you to see um, that generosity is the way of life that God has assigned for you as a Christian. And so today, my goal is to lay a good foundation for that. The foundation for generosity, here it is, is a two-fold conviction. that just means one coin, two sides. On either side of the coin, there's a point. First of all, the conviction says that treasure in heaven is better than treasure on earth. The second side of that coin, the other conviction, says that God, like the one true God, is a better master than money. If we believe those two things, then man, I think we've got the foundation laid for generosity. Now, I recognize that if you're a Christian and a a Bible study person and someone who loves the Lord in this room, then you're probably thinking to yourself, well, yeah, like I, I believe both of those statements, right? And so maybe the issue for you today is not so much the conviction that those two things are true. It's understanding how do I live those two things out? How do I demonstrate that in my life? And so I hope that we will be able to dive into that today. If you've got sermon notes with you uh, and you're following along there, you're kind of a person that likes to scribble things down, then here's point number one on your sermon notes. This is where Jesus begins. He begins with the command, right? Store your treasure in a better bank. Store your treasure in a better bank. The question that I think Jesus raises at the beginning of this passage is, Is the treasure that you and I spend so much of our lives running after, right? Are the valuables that we think are so valuable, uh, are they really filled with that much value? Is it really worth it? Is the treasure that we pursue really, really worth it? And I think that Jesus' answer to that question is going to be no. And there's a number of reasons why for this, but the first of them is that, hey, there's no safe place for any of the treasures that you can amass for yourself here on earth. There's no safe place for them. You can't put them anywhere that they will be safe. And so Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. See, he takes issue with our treasure and I think he does so in two ways. He takes issue with it in definition, how we define treasure. He also takes issue with location, where we store our treasure, okay? Definition, uh, you know, here's... um, Here's maybe a, a good way to demonstrate it. I don't know if I still have it down here. I do, okay? Uh, so you probably know what this is, right? This is a, it's a dollar. Yeah, yeah, good job. I, East Venue, I heard you before the, uh, the worship center crowd here. So good job. Uh, this is a dollar, big money, right? Big money. Um, here's the thing about this dollar. It is very destructible, is it not? I mean, there's a hundred different things that I could do to this dollar right now that would make it lose its value but let's go a step deeper than that, church. Why is this a dollar? This is a dollar because the United States government says it's a dollar. Which means, if the day came that the United States government said that this is no longer a dollar, this would no longer be a dollar, Do you see how transient this piece of paper is? And let me tell you something. No matter how many hundreds or thousands or millions of these you have, it's all the same. The day the United States government says that's no longer a dollar, it's no longer a dollar. Now, here's what's even crazier is that one day you and I are going to die. Uh, we're going to pass away, right? And we're going to go uh, to stand before the Lord. And let's just say, let's just say that you miraculously stowed this away somewhere on your person, right? And, and through the portals of eternity, you arrived at the gates of heaven. And God was like, well, hey, friend, what did you bring with you? And you're like, well, I have a dollar, well, God can look at you and say, well, neat, what's that good for? Friends, at that point, it's not good for anything. It's not good for the paper that it's printed on. And again, no matter how many millions of those things you can amass, no matter how much of that earthly, earthly treasure you could collect, one day it is not gonna be worth what it currently is. We know that we're seeing that happen even today, right? Right? So he's got a problem, Jesus does, with the way that we define our treasure because we attach ourselves to treasures that are um, fleeting, that are destructible, that moth and rust can destroy. In the ancient days, Jesus would have been talking about things like, you know, um, maybe coins, probably more clothing or, um, you know, precious metals that people would amass. But today, yeah, he's talking about cash. He's talking about our investments. He's talking about our our assets, our houses, our boats, our cars, our toys, the the various things that make necessary the uh, $29 billion industry in the United States of America called self-storage those places where we go and put all of the stuff that we don't have room for in our houses. Jesus has a problem with that because he's saying, man, we're, you're throwing your life away. You're running after, you're chasing, you're pursuing all these things that are so breakable. They're so fleeting. They're so transient. They're all gonna pass away and not matter at the end of days. The best banks on earth cannot protect your treasure for the day that comes when you enter eternity. There's no trust fund that you can trust to meet you when you die and stand before God. It's not going to help to have all the things that you spent your life collecting when one day you stand before him if your soul is not right with him. And so Jesus kind of he turns it on us. He says, hey, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, do, right? Gave us a prohibition. Now he's giving us a permission or even a command. Uh, do store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? This is so cool. I, uh, can you just journey with me, right, uh, to, to eternity, to the kingdom of heaven, as best as you can imagine it in your mind. You know what they don't do in heaven? They don't repave the roads. The streets are made of gold. I mean, If you drive down 280 regularly, you recognize that paving that thing to keep it safe for all of us driving on it is a once a year occasion, pretty much. The road work down here never never ends. Why? Because things are constantly falling apart. Entropy is a good word for it, right? It's the word that just means that naturally everything falls to chaos. Everything falls apart. You do. I do, our houses do, our cars do, our assets do, everything in this life that we have falls apart. The exact opposite is true of the kingdom of God nothing there falls apart, it all lasts. There's no moths to tear apart your clothing in the kingdom of God. There's no thieves who are there that would, that would try to break in and steal. And even if there were, your treasure would be safe because it's stored away with the Lord. Well, the question is, you know, what kind of treasure do the banks of heaven take? And, and how do we earn that treasure? Well, I think there's a couple things that we could point out for today. And the first one is that you store up treasures in heaven by investing in God's people and God's causes. You store up treasures in heaven by investing in God's people and God's causes. Think about it this way. Journey with me to, as um, Pastor Matt likes to call it, the world of what if, okay? Let's go to the world of what if for just a moment. Um, what if you do a great job amassing financial security during your life on earth, right? And you save it up and you put it in all the investments and you take care of yourself so that when you retire, you have a tremendous nest egg uh, that that is, I mean, it's, it's just gonna last. It's gonna last for a long time. It's gonna last after you. And, and sure enough, you pass away and it's divvied out. Your estate goes out to generations after you and and they uh, collect the wealth that you spent your life amassing. What if, my friend, uh, your grandchildren are stupid? What if they lack wisdom and sense? What if they wanna spend their lives not chasing honorable causes and living with discipline, but doing all sorts of foolish and stupid things? My friend, do you see how in that case, if all you did was spend your life investing in the, uh, you know, the financial prosperity of the generations to come out, if that's all you did, then all that remains is that you're financing stupidity. You're the person backing, financially backing, uh, the unwise actions of the generations that have followed you. It's, it's not worth it. It's not a, a, a good thing. So, so what if instead, and, and these things are not mutually exclusive. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But what if instead you spent your life investing in kingdom causes, right? What if instead of amassing wealth for yourself, what if you were generous and gave wealth away, What if you helped every time a need was presented to you, you were able to step in and say, yeah, I got that, I'll take care of that, let me meet that need. What if you spent your life uh, not necessarily investing in the financial security of uh, the generations that are to come after you, but what if you played the role of primary disciple maker in your family and you invested in the spiritual security of the generations that are coming after you? I mean, is that not a much more noble cause? Isn't that a better way to spend your life? I just think it is. And so, yeah, invest in God's people and invest in God, uh, God's causes. But you can also store up treasure in heaven by just living a godly life, right? Hear me. The Bible is not shy about the rewards that accompany the righteous in the day of judgment. It's not. You can look all over the Bible and you can find, in fact, uh, you know, at le- no less than five times in the New Testament, different crowns are mentioned that believers will receive for um, following Jesus and for investing their life in kingdom's causes right? All throughout the scriptures, you can see the rewards that God's people will receive for living according to uh, his ways. And even more than that, you can write down a handful of scriptures that I'm about to rattle off to you. Uh, Psalms 112 verse 5, Proverbs 11:25; 25, uh, Proverbs 22:9; 9, 2 Corinthians 9 6 through 7. All of these are going to tell you friends about the rewards that accompany a generous life, And it doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean that if you give to the Lord here and now, he's gonna immediately reciprocate that with bigger gifts and bigger financial prosperity for you. That's a lie, and you'll hear that. That is not necessarily what it means. Again, I point you to the example of Jesus, who was the the only one who's been perfectly obedient in God's sight. And when he died in his humanity, he didn't have a cent to his name. So it's not necessarily the reward that accompanies you and me in this life, but we just talked about how it's not worth it to live for this life. It's about the reward that accompanies us in the kingdom of God. Let me say it this way. Jesus is not ultimately concerned with your finances on this side of eternity. He's not. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't care because he does. He knows the stress and he knows the frustration. He never fell prey to the temptation of anxiety, but he knows what it's like when, when the, you know, the, the disciples are around him. The family is gathered around and they're all looking at each other like, hey man, we don't have enough to make it to next Tuesday. He knows what that's like. So I'm not saying he doesn't care. I'm just saying he's not ultimately concerned with your finances on this side of eternity because he's not talking in this passage about earthly prosperity. Now pause, big pause here. Does this mean that you and I should not have any earthly treasure? That we shouldn't build the house that we've always wanted to live in? That we shouldn't you know, drive the car that we've saved up to, to, to drive? Does it mean that we shouldn't invest uh, so that one day we can be financially secure, which I'll put in quotes because, you know, again, the Lord could demand your life from you today and your financial security is not really good for much then. Is the Lord saying that we should not do any of those things? Friends, the, the, answer, the answer has to be no. Now, you could go there if you want, right? Kind of a, an anti-prosperity gospel, if you will, like a poverty gospel, but that's just as wrong as the prosperity gospel is. See, the poverty gospel doesn't pay attention to, um, again, multiple passages throughout Scripture, such as Proverbs 13, 22, where where the author of the proverb is going to tell us that a good man uh, leaves something for his children's children. So if you want to do it the biblical way, then a multi-generational nest egg is the way to go. Something that you can give, not just to your kids, but to your kids' kids. Friends, there's a fine line here. And you and I just have to be so careful to not jump too far to one side or the other. We don't wanna jump into the prosperity gospel, but we also don't wanna jump into the poverty gospel. Neither one of them indicates that you are following Jesus rightly. What indicates that you're following Jesus rightly is that your heart is in the right place. This is a matter of the heart. It's a heart issue. You remember the story of the rich young ruler, right? His problem wasn't that he had a lot of wealth. His problem was that his wealth had him. His wealth had such a hold on his heart that when Jesus said to him, sell everything that you have and come and follow me, he wouldn't do it. So friend, if that's where you're at today, then yeah, you have an issue but it's a heart issue, it's not a wealth issue. I want you to hang on to that because that's exactly where Jesus goes next. Number two on your notes is the insight. The insight is this, that your treasure is a map to your heart. So let me ask the question, what does your treasure say about your heart? What does your treasure say that you value? Now listen, if you uh, if you were to excuse me, if you were to look at my treasure, you would see that I value a lot of things. Food, for one, right? Like Chick Fil A, that's a subset of that category, I value Chick Fil A. If you look a little closer, you would see that I value all sorts of things, right? I, I value um, taking care of my family and providing for them. I value the house that we live in, the car, uh, the cars that we drive as a family. I, I I value maybe a little bit more personally. I value entertainment, and I value comfort and I value security, all these kinds of things. But here's the deal, church family. There is one line on my budget that I love. My favorite line on my budget and on the budget that I have for my family is our generosity line. I love that line. I love it because through that line, I get to invest in things that have eternal impact not just day-to-day impact, but impact that goes on forever. I love that when I was in school and I had hardly nothing, uh, the Lord got my first and best, and I was able to trust him and watch him provide every step of the way. I love that now that, uh, you know, I'm a family man and I'm raising a couple of kids and we have not much, but something, uh, I love that the Lord still gets our first and best as a family. And I love and pray that hopefully one day, uh, should the Lord bless us and we have even a little bit more than a little something, I hope that the Lord will still get our first and best. We love that line. William Carey uh, was... a missionary. Uh, and really, he's kind of credited with being the father of what we call modern missions, or missions sort of as we know it today. Um, he spent about four decades of his life in India, uh, sharing the gospel with the people of India when it was like there were you know, zero Christians there. He went and started the movement. Um, when William was considering his calling on, the calling on his life that God had placed on him to go to India and tell other people about the gospel, he told his friend and fellow pastor, Andrew Fuller, he said, I am willing to go, but you must hold the rope. Right? So what, what he was thinking there is that going into the dark unknown world where there's no other Christians and other believers is like descending into a dark pit that nobody knows what's down there. I'll go, but you've got to be willing to hold the rope. Friends, you and I, because of your generosity here at this church, you and I get to hold the rope for the missionaries that are on the field on behalf of Southern Baptists. That is an awesome thing because this is a little rope. The rope that we hold for our missionaries is a big rope. If Kaylee and I wanted to, we could designate a portion of our budget to support one missionary family, uh, but we would not be able to cover all of their needs uh, that they have on the field, right? So what we do is instead we partner up through what's called the cooperative program uh, across all the Southern Baptist churches in our country. We partner up with you and with you and with you and with you, we partner all together and all of us at Liberty Baptist partner together with the other members at the some 45, thousand churches around uh, the United States of America. We all contribute together. We all put our hands on the rope, and here's what we get to see because of it because of the way that you give and the way that I give and the way that others all around this country give, we get to support our international missionaries who are on the field, some 3,500 personnel who are out there telling others about Jesus. We get to support 2,500 North American missionaries who are church planting and leading networks all around the United States that we partner with. We get to support the work of 3,700 chaplains from the Southern Baptist Convention. We get to support the work of over 10,000 thousand students who are at our seminaries, six seminaries that we have as a convention of churches that are educating tomorrow's church leaders, pastors, theologians, and thinkers so that the next generation has the hope of the gospel. Friends, this is the rope that you and I get to hold when we give at Liberty Baptist. I love that rope and I don't want to let go of it. And I hope and I pray that you don't wanna let go of it either and that all together, we will continue to hold that rope. You have a hand in the work of God. And, and listen, friends, you are a generous congregation. You are a generous church. That's one of our values as a church, right? Generosity, not greed. You do a great job of living that out. And so please hear me as we go through this series in this month of December, know that we're not telling you something that you're not doing that you need to start doing know that we're telling you a good work that you're already doing, that we want you to press on and press ahead in. A heart of generosity says a lot about you. It says that you trust the heavenly father to provide for you. It says that you believe that he has given you all that you need, in fact, more than you need, and therefore enough to share. And so I pray, I pray that you'll look at your treasure. You'll follow that treasure map, To your heart. You'll listen to what it says about you because here's the reality, and it's number three on your notes. Jesus offers the analogy the heart is the eye of the soul. Now remember back when I was reading the passage, I told you that this probably gave you a little bit of whiplash, right? When we first read these verses, you're like, we're talking about money and storing up treasures in heaven, not on earth. And then all of a sudden we're talking about the eye and darkness and blindness, and that doesn't make a lot of sense. And then right at the end, we go back to talking about money and how you can't serve God and money at the same time. Well, what Jesus is doing is he's using an analogy to make a point that almost everybody understands in order to say something that actually almost nobody comprehends. Here's the point. Just like blindness darkens the course of your life in the body, a dark, greedy heart corrupts the way of life that you walk. See, we can all imagine what it would be like to be blind, to not be able to see, stumbling around, needing guidance, needing helping hands because we can't do basic things like find precisely where the chair is that we're supposed to sit in or find the spout that we're supposed to get water from. We all can imagine what that's like. Jesus is saying, friend, That's what your heart is like when you're greedy and stingy and everything that applies to being the opposite of generous. Your heart is dark. And it will lead the course of your life astray. Here's what's crazy about this passage. I don't think Jesus actually really cares that much about how much you give. I really don't. I mean, think about it this way. The Pharisees, were scrupulous in how they observed the law. They were perfect at it. I mean, they, they just went after uh, all of the commands of God. They wanted to do right by the word of the Lord. Uh, conservatively, we estimate that a Pharisee, if he followed the law perfectly, would have given between 20 and 23% of his yearly income to the causes of God, to the temple, to the sacrifices, all those various things. But there's a story where Jesus goes to synagogue and all the Pharisees and all the other people are tossing their treasures into the offering plate and cashing in and they're putting large sums in there and everybody's hearing the coins, you know, clinker, clatter and all this kind of thing and they're thinking, man, look how much he gave, look how much he gave, look how much he gave. And then there's a widow. And she gives 2 cents. And that's the sound that Jesus hears and says, look how much she gave because all these people have given out of their wealth. And yeah, they gave big numbers, but their heart was not in it. This woman, she gave out of her poverty. She didn't have anything left and she still gave all that she had to live on because her heart trusted the heavenly father to provide for her. That is what Jesus cares about in your generosity. It is not about how much you give. It's about a heart that says, Lord, I want to hold the rope. I want to be part of your kingdom cause. And when your heart says that, it determines the course of life that's generous. If instead your heart says things like, I don't know, we're tight this month, so I, maybe we can hold off on our giving for, for just this month. It'll, it'll just be this month, and then we'll get started on it again. We're tight. Let's, let's hold. Let's conserve. Let's be stingy. Well, friend, the heart that says that is going to determine the course of your life. So be careful. Your heart is the eye of your soul. And if you've got a dark heart this morning, then let me tell you some great news, man. Jesus can change that thing and bring life to it. He can light it up. He can show you a better way. I pray that you will come before him and give your heart to him. And so we come to the end. Number four, the conclusion is this. Serve God, not money. Now, a lot of people read this passage and they think, well, you know, it, it, Jesus is kind of talking about like having two employers, right? And almost all of us in the room have probably worked two jobs at one point or another. We can work two jobs. So what does Jesus mean? We can't, we can't have two bosses. We can't have two masters. Well, let me say it this way. The concept is a lot heavier here. He's talking about like bond servitude, right? Like almost slavery is what Jesus has in mind when he's talking about this. He's saying essentially, you can't have two lords and money wants to be your Lord. Wealth wants to be your Lord. And so does, so does the Lord God Almighty. He wants to be your Lord as well. He ultimately knows that's what's best for you. And so he wants you to go that direction. Uh, but he's trying to make it plain to you. You can't serve two lords. You can't have two gods. Here's the thing. God and money really don't agree on much. Money's gonna tell you to keep it tight this month because things are, are, are tight and inflation's going up. God's gonna tell you, I've given you everything that you need, give. Give. Money is gonna tell you, hey, you need to put in more hours because we need to earn more. It's, it's the time of life to get ahead. God's gonna tell you, hey, I want you to put in the hours with your family. I want you to put in the hours with your church. I want you to serve me and I'll take care of you. Money's gonna tell you, don't listen to him. I've got you in your old age. God's gonna tell you, friend, you don't even know if you're gonna have an old age. I know your days. I numbered them. I wrote them in my book before a single one happened. Money's gonna tell you, you can't trust God. He won't come through. God's gonna tell you, I always come through. He was willing to put it in his word that the Bible writer cried out, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Never seen his children begging for bread. Follow the Lord Jesus, friends. And God's going to take care of you. See, money will tell you, I make the world go round. God's going to say, I created the world. And I'm the only one who can tell it when to spin and when to stop. So friends, today, today, choose who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? You can't serve both ultimately. On your Sermon notes are in the app. There's a couple of live it out points. And listen, in your life groups today, you're gonna talk through these live it out points in a little bit more detail. I hope that you are in a life group. If you're not, it's time. Get into a life group so that you can have these kinds of conversations with brothers and sisters in the faith and you can encourage one another. And I encourage you today in your life group as you're having these discussions, man, participate, speak up, right? Share, be willing to, uh, to own it in front of each other. But the two points are this. First of all, friends, evaluate your attitude toward money and possessions to assess whether or not you're trying to serve two masters and then take action to make appropriate changes. If you're serving money, then friend, it's time to come and repent and tell Jesus, I wanna serve you. I don't wanna serve money anymore. Second, identify and implement one way to consistently remind yourself to focus on Jesus and his kingdom this week. Next week, we're gonna talk more about that. So that's gonna press right in. But maybe here's the, uh, the best way that I can sum it up for, for an invitation of sorts, an invitation to respond to what God's word has told you and I today. I said at the beginning that the foundation for generosity is a twofold conviction, right? Number one, that treasure in heaven is better than treasure on earth. So here's what I want you to do. Ask yourself the question, do I believe? Does my life reflect that I believe that treasure in heaven is better than treasure on earth? Secondly, the second part of that conviction is that God is a better master than money. So ask yourself the question, do I live with God as my master or with money as my master? Friend, it's on you and I. We have all we need in this word. The Lord is ready and willing to take our hearts of stone and stinginess and to transform them to hearts of light and life and generosity. I pray that you'll take him up on it. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for the love that you have for us, the opportunity that you have given us to honor you with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. And I pray that we'll do just that today. Lord, that we will focus not on what we don't have from an earthly perspective, but what we do have for eternity with you. I pray that you'll help us to focus not on the things that we see on this earth that draw our attention, that make us desire them, but that we'll focus instead on making kingdom eternal impact. I pray that you'll help us to not live for two masters, to not serve two lords, to not attempt to find the balance between two gods, but instead to serve you wholeheartedly with absolute devotion. I pray for anybody here who has never met you, never surrendered their life to you, much less their finances. Pray that in this time you'll convict them and call them to repentance. And I pray that all of us will not just be hearers of your word, but will be doers also pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.